0: so grateful for the opportunity we have tonight to grow in grace together... ...and invite you to uh, Ephesians chapter number 4 together tonight. We've been learning through a series uh, entitled Building Below the Baseline... ...and just really trying to invest in the hidden things in our hearts and lives. And as we consider that God has called us to just continue to build uh, that foundation... ...in our spiritual life and our spiritual walk with the Lord... And, you know, just like a, a structure needs a solid foundation, each of us need a solid foundation where uh, we can build upon the spiritual things in our life. And so tonight we're talking about an essential area in our life to strong Christian life and relationships, and that's forgiveness. All of us probably at times uh, have been hurt by others or have probably hurt someone else. And we do what we do in those moments will determine if we're strengthening our foundation or if we're weakening it. And as we consider uh, forgiveness, the opposite of that uh, is bitterness. And bitterness is one of the greatest hidden sins that will hinder your relationship with God. Uh, family members, other Christians, and un- unsaved people, our relationship with these people are all affected by bitterness that we harbor. On one, on, on one hand, forgiveness is one of the greatest restorers of relationships, and it brings freedom to, to people, and especially to the Christian and forgiveness is or excuse me and bitterness is something that will destroy. Tonight I want to share with you about uh, from Ephesians chapter 4 and as we get there let me just share with you a story about some uh, missionaries and probably you know about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot but every time I, I, I share the story there's almost uh, normally someone who's never heard of them Jim and Elizabeth Elliot were missionaries to a primitive tribal people in, known as the Aka Indians and they met with them first and had a very good, seemingly first friendly visit. And, and several Indians and Jim and four of his, his missionary friends uh, were able to meet with them. But the second time when they meet with, met with them, they were speared to death. Many people were surprised by what had happened. Elizabeth uh, and her 10-month-old daughter, specifically, they were surprised by this. They went back to the Aka people and lived with them. Can you imagine watching and seeing your husband murdered and then being willing to forgive enough to go back. When someone asks about this response, she said, To the world at large, this was a a sad waste of five young lives. But God has His plan and purpose in all things. The prayer of of the widows themselves are for the Aucas. We look forward to the day when these savages will join us in Christian praise. Listen, there's only one way that she could have said this, and that's because she had forgiveness in her life. Relationships in Christian homes and churches oftentimes are destroyed because of unforgiveness, because of an unforgiving spirit. And sometimes we try to deny that there's anything amiss, but let me just encourage you, uh, uh, if we're willing to forgive, uh, we, can, uh, we can see God do tremendous things. We can see also Uh, in our life that uh, God calls us to forgiveness. Let's look at the Scriptures together. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 26 through 32 together. As we look here, let's read this together. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that steal or stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for this tremendous passage of Scripture tonight, and we thank you, Lord, for the challenge from the Word of God toward forgiveness. Uh, Lord, we recognize that in our congregation, in our church body, in our own lives, Lord, uh, I pray that we would have that spirit of forgiveness. Lord, uh, in our families, Lord, we desperately need this as well. And so may we put on uh, the works of righteousness. And may we tonight as a church choose to have a a tender spirit and a forgiving spirit to those around us. And may you, Lord, uh, be glorified in our our response to the message. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, whether you're young or old, I think this is something we all are going to deal with at one time or another. And there's a couple of things I want to look at from the Word of God. And so uh, from verse number 26, we see uh, this important thing. Reject Satan's temptation. What do we do when somebody hurts us? Our natural response is try to basically yield to the temptation of responding back. Well, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, or I'm going to make sure that well, however bad they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. Listen, the devil has many darts, he has many arrows, and he's going to try to shoot at just all kinds of things. But the, here's the one thing that he wants to do, is he wants to keep you bitter and angry at those around you. And so let's look at his temptation. And the first one is to sin in anger. And in verse number 26, he says, Uh, Be ye angry and sin not. When that moment of hurt comes, our natural response is to respond in anger. Uh, uh, But unfortunately, it just adds more damage. Look at James chapter 1 and verse number 20 in your scriptures. It says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You know, God reminds us here that, that uh, when we try to respond in anger, it's not going to be, typically it's not going to be the righteousness of God at work in our life. Typically it's going to be a selfish motivation, motivation. So it's true that there's some instances where anger is righteous. For example, Jesus Christ, Mark chapter 3 and verse number 5. It says, And when he looked round about them with anger and being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth on hand, and he stretched it out. And his hand was restored whole, as the other. Listen, Jesus' anger was perfectly uh, was perfect, and it was directed toward the sin. It wasn't a selfish anger. In fact. When he died upon the cross, he yielded his rights. He said, listen, it's not about me. Isaiah 53 and verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And we see that this is a tremendous response for us as we look at Christ's response, should be ours as well. Matthew Henry was a Bible commentator and he said this, If we would be angry and sin not, we must be angry at nothing but sin. And we should be more jealous for the glory of God than for any interest or reputation of our own. I, I would dare say that most of the time when I grow uh, angry, it's not because I'm angry at sin. But instead, it's angry for selfish and prideful reasons. The, this is the anger, though, that, that Christ displayed. It was a problem He had toward sin. When we was. Uh, when, uh, when wrongfully angered, oftentimes, though, we will do things that we thought uh, that we thought we wouldn't ever do. Anger is typically something that causes more problems than it, than it uh, heals. And we see this in uh, families. We see this especially when, when we're dealing with our children. Man responding in anger in a situation uh, almost always ru- uh, ruins a relationship. Benjamin Franklin, who was not a Christian, necessarily made this observation. He says, whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. So beware. Beware that the devil will tempt you to sin in anger. And so the second thing we see, uh, that he also wants you not only to sin in anger, but to stay in anger. That's his desire. He doesn't want us just to be angry, but he also wants us to stay angry. If If I can be mad at that preacher, I can stay mad at him forever. Amen? And so Satan not only wants us to get angry, but he wants us to stay that way. In verse 26, in the latter part of the verse, he says, Be ye angry and sin not. And he says, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Wrath is defined as intense anger. It's the idea of vengeance behind it. And literally, it's when we're angry, we want to make someone pay for how they have hurt us. You ever been in traffic, someone cut you off, And you want to make them pay, so you swivel around in front of them and you slam on your brakes in front of them to make them pay for what they've done to you. I know y'all are way too spiritual for that. (laughs) But, you know, that's that that mentality there. Satan recognizes that as long as we're angry at someone, we're immobilized spiritually. If there's anger there, we can't serve the Lord. A husband and wife are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And we have several of those in our church this year celebrating that. But a young acquaintance of theirs was engaged himself, and, and he asked for the most helpful thing that they had done. And, and the husband replied, well, we never, got to, uh, we never went to sleep angry. And the young man was impressed until the wife chimed in and said, well, the longest we ever had to stay awake was a week. <laughs> you know, we consider that, and we think about that. Sometimes that's the way we like to hold on to things. I'm, I just want to say and give that, uh, that no uh, no, that was not from a couple in our church, amen? We make, it a habit, some, uh, we make it a habit sometimes to just go to bed angry. And if we do that, there's no limit to the insane things that we may do. If, if we let that sun go down, if we let that anger seethe within us, it will boil over in so many other ways. If we, uh, Listen, God wants us to address these problem, problems graciously instead of harboring hurts and becoming bitter. He, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 says, "...looking diligently..." lest any man fail of the grace of god lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled let's take hebrews 12:15 to heart ask the holy spirit to show us if there's any root of bitterness springing up in us uh, Just like Ephesians four twenty seven says, neither give place to the devil. Listen, this the uh, the word place in the Greek is topos, which means which is where we get our word topography. It's like any portion or marked off area. It's like saying to God, this place right here, you can't have this in my life. You know, this relationship, I want to stay angry about this. This area, I'm going to reserve it for myself. You can't have it. None of us was consciously give a portion of our hearts and lives to the devil. But when we allow anger to linger in our hearts, that's what we're doing. We're inviting him to come in and to influence our lives. And so I want to just encourage you here. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, he warns not to make provision for the flesh. And he says, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Lingering anger that turns into bitterness provides plenty of opportunity for us to respond in relationships in a wrong way. So the, the Apostle Paul recognizes this. He recognizes the devil uses this unforgiveness he, to gain an advantage in our life. And so he was warning us. He says, neither give place to the devil. And then he also says in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 2, in verses 10 and 11, he says, To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it to, for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. We can fall prey to this this simple tool of the devil. He knows that any of us can allow that hurt to come in our life. And if it's not dealt with properly, it can become bitterness. Someone once said, when you forgive, you set two people free. And one of them is yourself. For your sake, for your family's sake, for for our church's sake, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Marriages, homes... Friendships that all fall apart don't do so overnight, right? right. It, it's a progression. In many cases, these kinds of tragedies happen after harboring many, uh, uh, many things in our heart, and especially bitterness. And so we must reject Satan's temptation. We must reject this temptation not only to sin in anger, but also to stay in anger. Let's look at what God wants us to do instead. Reflect biblical grace. I'm grateful for the grace of God. And, and every time I consider uh, trying to harbor a uh, bitterness towards someone, I have to go back to the cross and I have to remember, what have I done against the Savior? What have I done against Jesus Christ? And yet he has shown me grace. He has shown me forgiveness. He's been willing to, to demonstrate to me on the cross his wonderful grace. And so there's a couple of things that we can, ways that we can show grace. The first one is in our actions. If uh, Ephesians chapter four and verse 28, let's look here in our, our text tonight. Let him that stole. Steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. When you look at this, it seems like this verse is not related to anything else in the passage. But yet as you deal with it and you think about it in the context of relationships, you realize that God put it there on purpose. There, there's, a, there's a specific purpose as we think about be angry, sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. He says neither give place to the devil and let him that stole steal no more. There's an obviously turning here in this. And the first three words deal with our actions here. No more stealing, no labor. Uh, he says to work, he says to, uh, to give and to labor. And so when we deal with these, uh, we see that uh, when we're dealing correctly with offenses, a part, that, that part of our life is going to be seen in our actions. God's telling us, reject anger. Reject allowing sinful anger to have a hold in our heart. He says to properly deal with that anger in verse 27. And then we get to verse number 28, and He shows us really how, the, how it changes the way we live. You know, when I met Christ, I didn't leave the same as when I met Him. He changed me. Now, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an instantaneous thing. Everything in my life wasn't perfect, but it was a progression. Things began changing. Things began working in my life. And we see in this verse, uh, stealing was, uh, is used as a parallel word for a picture of who we are when we do not reflect God's grace and we remain in our anger. Think about this. Stealing and unforgiveness both disregard the command of God as we reject God's grace. Anger is a form of pride. Believing I should be treated uh, a way differently than I should have been treated, he says, and and also stealing is a form of pride, saying believing that I should have something which I do not have. Both of these pride demands that we uh, we get what we think we deserve. Listen, we see a lot of this today, don't we? We see a lot of this uh, in our in our generation, and it's really pushed everywhere. and And it is a pride issue. Well, you deserve that. You deserve that. But listen, let me remind you, I don't deserve anything. I deserve one thing, and that's hell. But by the grace of God, there go I. And so he says in our actions, we need to reflect grace in our actions, but also reflect grace in our words. Perhaps the area in which you struggle with grace to those around you is really in your words. Ephesians 4.29, he says this, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The word corrupt literally means rotten, putrefied, putrefied, unfit for use. Think about that in the context of our words. When we hold unforgiveness in our heart, it comes out of our mouths, doesn't it? Uh, I said this a couple weeks ago. What's down in the bucket comes up in the well. I said it backwards, but I'll say it correct tonight. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. You know, it takes a little time, sometime before those things come out, but eventually it will. If there's bitterness in that heart, eventually it's going to spill out in what we say. James chapter three and verse ten, he says, "Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter?" Listen, just like a little bit of poison will contaminate an entire water source, a little bitterness corrupts everything inside of us. And and this is what the amazing thing is. And when I counsel with people, I tell them, listen, for your benefit, you have to forgive because it will affect every area of your life. What ought to proceed out of our mouths is good. What ought to come forth out of us is something that's good communication. The Bible says that it is good for the use of edifying. The word edified means to cause to grow. Man, don't you want those around you to grow with you? I mean, I just want to see God help us to grow together in His grace and His mercy as we just continue to just serve Him together. My my hope and desire is that everyone would be able to grow with us, literally to be edified together to cause to grow. But bitter and unforgiving words don't benefit anyone, but kind words will. Think about when you were going through a difficult time and someone came around uh, beside you and they just put an arm around you and said, man, I'm praying for you. Or man, let me pray with you right now. Man, those edifying, those encouraging, those kind words meant so much in the midst of our trial. That little boy, I love brothers and sisters. I love to watch them interact at home, my kids, as they interact as brothers and sisters. I'm uh, I'm sure someone has this weird idea that a pastor's kids are perfect. But I'm going to tell you right now, our kids are just normal like every other kid's. And if you've ever been an M.K. or a P.K., you know exactly what I'm talking about. But, you know, Mary had a really tough day at school, and she started home. And as she was home, she was complaining about everything when she got home. And finally she was moaning, nobody loves me. The whole school hates me. The whole world hates me. And her brother didn't hardly look up as he's reading his comic book, and he says, well, that's not true, Mary. Some people don't even know you yet. You know, those aren't necessarily encouraging words. Edification is something we all need in our life. Every, 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 being able to edify encourage one another and show those kind words, they go a long way to helping mend those relationships to those that are broken. Listen, we need to be in the business of edification. Listen, every person in here, every believer has an opportunity to be able to uh, encourage and edify those around you. Man, I hope and pray that our words will bring grace to those that hear us. That when we speak, that God can use it to help those around us to grow. A mature Christian can take a potentially big problem and make it smaller. A carnal Christian will take a little issue and make it big. Why? Big God, small problem. Small God, big problem. God wants us to bestow the gift of goodwill and loving kindness to those around us. Pouring grace on the situation, listen, brings a peaceful result. Don't you, I, I, man, I crave peace in my home. I crave peace where, where, uh, wherever God will let me be, that God will let us to have a spirit of peace about us. And many times when I go to minister to a family that's going through a, a hardship, I just pray, God, help me to have a spirit of peace when I walk into this room. Because something, something about peace helps us to just reflect so deeply upon God. And so our nature is really, instead, when we're offended, when we're hurt, to be negative to be able to respond in anger. But God is calling us, he said, let no corrupt communication. Let nothing evil, let nothing that would that would destroy proceed out of your mouth, but instead that which builds up, that which is good. And so let me just encourage each of us in this regard. Look at our example with Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter four and verse twenty two. As we think about Jesus, His life obviously was perfect, and, and uh, many people will say, well, you know, I can, we can never live up to Him. But Luke 4, is our He's our greatest example, and this is what was said about Him. And all bear Him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of His mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Or John 7 and 46, the officers answered, never man spake like this man." His words were different. His words would be kind, wise, maybe truthful, encouraging words that would minister to those around him. Listen, when we're at odds with someone, the natural response is to say, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. You ever ever said that? Don't raise your hand. But, you know, if you've ever said "Well, I'm, I know I have, I've said it. Man, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, my hands on my hip, and I'm just ready to, uh, just to charge them and maybe knock them out, I don't know. But we think about this, but instead of a piece of our mind... God's calling them to give, a, give grace instead. Amen. Listen, proud people can't minister in grace. This is why the, in the initial moment of hurt, we must reject the temptation to respond in proud anger, we, or we will never be able to respond in humble grace. Let's consider a couple hypothetical, hypothetical situations together and, and the effect that some gracious words could really have. Maybe you can relate to one of these scenarios, I'm not sure, but what would happen if... You went to your unfair boss after a rough day and said, thanks for all you do around here. What a difference that would make. What would happen if, suppose you didn't make the sports team, but you went to the coach and said, can I keep the stats? Most of us in here don't play sports anymore, so it's not, maybe not one of those situations you relate to, but what about your kid?" What would happen if you wrote a congratulatory letter to one who got the promotion or the parent of the child who did a better, little better than yours? Or what about if you uh, happened to send a sincere thank you note to a teacher who gave bad grades to the child? Listen, this is what God calls us as Christians to respond to. This is called ministering in grace. When we respond with grace, God rewards us. But when we allow corruption or disappointment to fill our hearts, we become easily filled with bitterness. We must learn to respond to difficulties with, with grace. Let's look at this next one together. Refuse to grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30, he says, "...and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption." To be honest, we probably don't uh, take into consideration the Holy Spirit's presence as much as we ought to. You know, we go about our day, there's a lot of other things going on, but sometimes, quite honestly as a Christian, sometimes we know He's with us in our head, but we don't always, we don't always think about it. And yet the Bible says He has sealed us unto the day of redemption. He is a constant pres- presence in our life. And because He's always with us, we should be careful that none of our actions cause Him to sorrow or even offense. And so Ephesians 4.30 tells, uh, tells us to bring, uh, we can bring grief, sorrow, or heaviness to the Holy Spirit. So let's look at a couple of things. A bitterness, bitterness grieves God. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Let's look at these, these three words together. Bitterness means extreme enmity, a grudge, or hatred. Wrath means a, a fierce rage. And anger literally means a blowing up with a violent emotion. These three often go together in our lives. Uh, they are sins that, we, that tend to feed each other. And so you, you have one and it typically feeds the other one. And usually we're allowing them to fester in our lives and to grow in our lives. And we feel justified doing so because we've been offended or we've been hurt. There's another thing that God says that, um, that grieves him is not just uh, the bitterness, but also sinful speech grieves him. Ephesians 4.31, and it says, "...and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice." And so we look at these three words together, and clamor means a great outcry, to utter loud noises repeatedly. Evil speaking means literally a slander or a speech injurious to another's good name, and malice is all that is sinful. Did you notice the process that is being exposed here? The issue begins in the heart as bitterness... It fans the flames of our emotion, thus wrath and anger will begin to spill out. Bitterness continues to boil inside. As it begins to boil inside, it continues and is exposed through our speech. That's called a clamor. That's called evil speaking. The absolute best way to remedy this is to root out bitterness, to destroy bitterness. God wants bitterness to be put away from us. An unknown author said this, Unforgiveness is the poison we drink, hoping the other will die. Listen, listen. bitterness will change you. It changes people. Its poison of hatred leads to a fierce wrath or a rage, uh, and it leads to a, a blowing up uh, of a violent emotion or anger. Sam Ewing said this, It is wise to remember that anger is just one letter short of danger. So it's important tonight that we learn, don't grieve the Spirit. We need His ministry. I need His ministry in my life, and we, well, you do as well. If we're not to grieve Him, we must be a forgiving people. We must refuse to hold on in any hurts. And the last thing tonight, we see that we reflect the Savior's forgiveness. God doesn't just tell us what not to do. He gives us the perfect remedy for bitterness. Choosing to forgive. It's a choice, isn't it? You know, when we consider this, we say, well, I don't feel like forgiving. But listen, it's not a feeling, it's a decision. It's a choice. I will forgive or I won't forgive. We don't, regardless of emotion. We usually think the perfect remedy is choosing to get even. But really, all this does is spur the flames. God reminds us of forgiveness He extends to us. Listen in verse number 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God For Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Man, God has forgiven so much, hasn't He? God's grace is so abundant, and we forgive others as as Christ forgave us. We see uh, a couple of things in this. We see, first off, a kind Savior. Aren't you grateful we get to serve a great, kind Savior tonight? I'm so grateful that we, uh, we, uh, we have a loving, a kind Savior that truly can help us through each and every aspect of this that we're discussing tonight, because we, we sometimes we forget the kindness of God, yet He shows it to us every day. How has shown, God shown us kindness in our life? Help me out. I know you've been sitting a lot, but how does, how does God help show us His kindness? Salvation. Salvation. Amen. His work on the cross. How else? I heard someone back there speak. Speak up. And the way he provides. Amen. Amen. We've been blessed beyond measure, haven't we? Well, how else has God blessed you in your life? There's comfort, and I saw some other ones. Brother Steve, did you say something? A place of worship. Amen. Someone else. Salvation. Amen. Sister Bonnie. Amen. 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 We could go on and on and on. We think about the kindness of God tonight. And all of those things cause us to remembrance that His kindness is incredible. And this is what He says, and be ye kind. Kindness means literally having tenderness or a goodness of nature. And it has to do with benevolence. Tenderhearted means having a strong inward compassion or being sympathetic. Listen, that's, that's what God desires from us. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, having that sympathy with those around us, having that empathy, if you will, Be it just having that desire to love and to, and to be kind, even in the midst of the hurt that we experience. And, and truly, if anybody should uh, be willing to show kindness and tenderness, it's Christians. Amen. What does Romans 5, 8 say? Because anybody quote it tonight? But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, Christ died when we were for us before we even had the ability to understand the, everything that he did. And you know, I, I received Christ as a, as a child. I had no idea the, the total ramifications of all that he had done. But I knew this, that without him I was a sinner on my way to hell. Without Him, I was in trouble. I was in, I, I, there was no hope of heaven without Him. You know, I didn't understand everything about God, but this is what I knew, that He loved me. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. A lot of times the people who hurt us have deep hurts them, their own selves many times many, many times I deal with someone and and, and they're angry or bitter and matter matter of fact, um, not too long ago, I was at a restaurant and I was sitting there with a missionary and as we were we were uh, visiting together uh the 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 waitress was was kind of rude. you ever had one of those uh and you know and I, and I said. I just reached over to the missionary. And I said, listen, I think she's going through something right now. Let's, let's see if we can take a moment to witness to her. And, and sure enough, I, I happened to catch her running by another table, and that table was harassing her. And it just bled over all over the place into, into the rest of her customers. And I, I stopped her and I said, ma'am, I want you to know you're doing a fantastic job serving us today. And I said, I know that things aren't easy for you, but can I have a word of prayer with you? And you know, what an incredible thing that we can do is show the kindness of the Savior even when someone doesn't deserve it. This is a a saying that was kind of new to me. It said, be kind to everyone, for everyone you meet is fighting a battle. Man, how true it is. We don't know the burdens people are carrying. We don't know the weight that they're under. We don't know the, 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 the things that they're under. And if we could just take a moment and step back and say, let me walk a mile in their shoes and see what it's like, we might understand a little bit better what, what they're going through and be willing to, to serve with kindness. We also serve a forgiving Savior. In verse number 32, he says, kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Forgiving is literally to give grace or to pardon. To me... It's, my, it's me giving up my right to hurt you. It's giving up my right to hurt you for your, uh, your hurt toward me. When we have been deeply hurt, we think, I can't forgive them. I will never be able to forgive them. They just don't deserve it. But that's why God in His divine mercy draws us back to Calvary. That's why in verse 32 He says, Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And he says, listen, if I can forgive you of your sins and all that you have done, and me being God, why can't you as a sinner forgive another sinner? And so he draws us back to Calvary and he says, listen, I'm a forgiving Savior. I want you to reciprocate that in in my life. And so it's interesting that as Jesus hung on the cross, even some of his last words he spoke were of forgiveness. Luke chapter 23 and 34, it says, uh, Then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. One of, some of his last words were for our forgiveness. Ephesians 4:32 tells us we are forgiven. Uh, we are to forgive even as God did. Man, all that God forgave us, all that, he, all that we went through, when we look at it that way, there's no person we can't forgive." Martin Lloyd Jones said this, "Whenever I see myself before God and realize something of what my Lord has done for me at Calvary, I am ready to forgive anybody anything. I cannot withhold it. I do not even want to withhold it. When others wrong us, God calls us to forgive and to show them kindness. And I love that Romans chapter 12 mentions this. He says in verse 21, "...be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good." Tonight, our culture tells us that forgiveness is an option and that it's usually a bad option. But tonight, God's Word teaches us something different. It says, listen... God, now that forgiveness is not an option for the believer tonight. It's a command. Consider the relationships around you. Consider those that may have hurt. Consider those that may have, may have caused anger or even those that uh, have wronged you. Let me just remind you that God commands us to forgive. Forgive in the church setting. Forgive in our family. Forgive our wives or spouses or whatever they may be. For whatever atrocity we may have trumped up against them in our mind, God says, listen, it's time to forgive. It's time to allow that to happen because what I have noticed is when people are willing to forgive, there is a, there is a release from all the bondage that has held you down, from the, the heartache and the worry and the fretting, all of those things that happen. And, and many times people uh, feel overwhelmed because of the bitterness that they've allowed to build up. And, and when they forgive, it's like a release valve has been, has been opened and they can finally breathe again. Tonight, the greatest story of forgiveness is Jesus on the cross. The greatest thing I can share with you is that God loves you enough that He sent His only begotten Son to die for you so that you could be forgiven. Because, listen, we can't be forgiven by our own good works. We can't be forgiven by my, having the right church membership. And none of those things tonight will save me. None of those things will allow me to experience forgiveness. But what will allow me to have forgiveness is when I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so tonight, I just come to, to you, and I ask you, one, if you don't know the forgiveness of God, I invite you to come and meet me right here at, when we're uh, done with services. We'll sing a song, and during that song, if you want to be saved, you want to know what it's like to have the forgiveness of God, I'll meet you right here and show you. Maybe you're a Christian, and you're struggling with forgiveness in your life. This is the awesome thing that God says. Forgive. It's not easy. It's not always something we want to do but it is something God will use in a mighty way in your life if you'll just be willing to say, Lord, I forgive.